morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Larry Stutzreen, Major General, U.S. Air Force, retired, Director of Research here at the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies. And welcome to our Space Power Forum. Uh, we're very pleased and privileged today that we have Major General Leah Lauterbach. Uh, uh, she's the Director of Intelligence, Surveillance, and Reconnaissance at Headquarters U.S. Space Force. And in this capacity, she serves as the Senior Intelligence Director and Advisor to the Chief of Space Operations. She's responsible for policy formulation, planning, evaluation, oversight, and leadership of Space Force ISR. Prior to her current role, General Lauterbach was Director of Intelligence for U.S. Space Command. So welcome, General Lauterbach. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. How about you, Stutz? Okay. I'm doing great, and thanks for making time today. I know it's busy. It's a busy, busy time for Space Force. I'd like to start off by giving you an opportunity to make a few opening comments and uh, talk about the critical challenges your team is facing. And uh, before you do that, as a note to our audience, uh, feel free to raise your hand using the function on the app or submit a question in the Q&A window, and we'll get to those in the second half of our session. So now over to you, General. Okay, well, great. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Um, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, I always, I really enjoy getting the message out about Space Force because it is, uh, it's very exciting. Um, as you mentioned, it's also a little challenging. Uh, there is a lot of work that we have, but, that we've accomplished already, but a lot of work that we've got to do uh, here in the future. But uh, I'm extremely, uh, really privileged to be part of it. So um, what I wanted to talk about here in just the opening comments was that, um, you know, this is my second time now in a row of assignments uh, to stand up an organization. So U.S. Space Command, I was the J-2 uh, in 2019, and we stood up that, uh, that organization August of 2019. And so, uh, and then, uh, you know, General Raymond asked me to come out here to uh, help stand up the Space Force, which of course I'm privileged to do, but, uh, but it is just, an, right, it's another organization that you're standing up. And so with all of those challenges, so I, you know, just from a, a real quick standpoint of, um, you know, we're in our 15th month now uh, as stand up in the Space Force. And, and if I was to tell anybody, here are some lessons learned about standing up organizations just real quickly. One, once of course you get the vision and the direction from the, uh, the commander, or in this case, the CSO, um, you know, right, then you can, you can start moving out, but uh, you really need manpower. And you need manpower that has desks and IT at the appropriate security classifications. This, of course, you know that's much uh, that's uh, very important to us in the intelligence business. Um, and so we're we're gathering, you know, we're still gaining uh, our manpower uh, here. We've got uh, um, we've got some facilities. We're we're getting through those challenges. Um, secondly, would be uh, you really have to create some processes to move towards normalization. Uh, you know, your workforce. We'll get very tired if it's so chaotic and reactive all of the time. So you want to move towards that uh, normalization. You truly have to pr uh, prioritize, ruthlessly prioritize is what I call it. Uh, we have a very small staff here uh, as we're growing still here in the beginning. And so there are just some, you know, so many taskers that come down from, you know, the joint staff or from, uh, you know, maybe within the intelligence community type of thing. And we just can't get through them all. And, and that's okay. That's okay. I think everybody knows where we are in the movie. Um, I tell everybody that everybody's got to get their hands dirty and everybody's an action officer. So myself included, and I love surprising people when I direct call them um, because, uh, you know, I don't need my, I don't need the, uh, the exec to do it for me. I'm going to do it myself and get my hands dirty. Uh, but it's absolutely appropriate uh, anytime that you're starting these organizations. 
So with that, we're in our first 15th month in the Space Force, and uh, I think we've been really pretty successful. Uh, General Raymond, um, yeah, I mean, he's, I think he's very proud of what the team is doing, and I also am very proud of what we've accomplished from an intelligence perspective. So, so I just wanted to go over a few of those things. I, I had uh, six priorities. I still have the same six priorities that, uh, that I had published back in, um, in October timeframe to the ISR Enterprise. And when I'm addressing the ISR Enterprise, uh, the Intelligence, Surveillance, and Reconnaissance Enterprise, I'm addressing those that are in the Space Force. I'm not necessarily addressing those folks that are external, um, those that might be part of the intelligence community or uh, part of another service, uh, that type of thing. Uh, you know, maybe the, I, I'm not addressing necessarily the, the NIM, uh, the National Intelligence Manager for Space at the DNI level, right? Um, so, so I'm very much focused on building the Space Force Intelligence uh, or ISR enterprise. Uh, our, I'd say our biggest quick win was that we did become a member of the intelligence community in January of this year. And I'm happy to talk more about that uh, um, later on, uh, but I do consider that a, a big win for us. We have stood up this directorate. Um, we are small, but we are powerful, I will say. And so we are normalizing all the functions that we need to, uh, that we need to execute here on the staff. Uh, we are in the throes really of uh, standing up the National Space Intelligence Center. I'm excited about this one. We, uh, we have a, a working group that's been meeting for a, a number of weeks now, internal to the Space Force, external as well, to figure out what do we want the National Space Intelligence Center to look like in the future. Uh, but I am marching towards a, uh, the goal of January of 2022, actually being able to stand up the, uh, at an initial operating capacity uh, in the, of the National Space Intelligence Center. Uh, we're also trying to change the culture uh, within the Space Force, and that would be from a space operator standpoint, a cyber operator, as well as an ISR operator. And I'm really proud of the team down at a tactical level. The, uh, I mean, anybody that's been associated as an intelligence professional has been associated with Air Force Space Command in the, in the past, um, I think that they would be extremely proud to see what it is that our ISR uh, guardians and airmen, right? We still have airmen. I'm still one of them uh, working yes. in the Space Force, that uh, what they're doing at a tactical level to, uh, to inform, educate, and, um, and really synchronize operations that are happening at the tactical level, sitting side by side with their, uh, their space operator counterparts. I think it's just, it's awesome. And we've got a we've got a ways to go, but uh, we're really stand, starting off on the right foot, and that's all thanks to our our uh, Delta Seven commander uh, down at the uh, again down at the tactical level. Uh, we are building out new squadrons. I will say that we're not um, you know we're just getting those billets in in FY22, so uh, we've got paperwork that we've started and whatnot. So this is one that we'll we'll, we'll uh, uh, in building the four new squadrons. I'm happy to talk about those specifics. Uh, a bit later, but we will, you know, uh, we will stand those up over the 22, 23, 24 uh, years. And then lastly is uh, uh, creating a capacity and a capability uh, from an ISR perspective to really get at enhancing, enhancing our capability to characterize the adversary. Um, so haven't started much on this. We have talked about it. We're trying to educate folks on what does ISR mean um, and, uh, and why it is that we might need those capabilities. Uh, but um, I've got to get some more manpower on the staff first, and then uh, and then we will start to tackle that uh, here in the end of this year. Um, anyhow, so those are those were my six priorities that I had started out with, uh, and then we you know we have uh, made some accomplishments in each one of those. But um, I think I'll stop there, and then just uh, happy to answer questions and get another question going. So thank you. You bet. Well, that was a great beginning. Uh, I've got some questions and. I first want to, you know, 
please pass on our thanks to your team. They've been wonderfully helpful uh, as they do this very important uh, build up and, and move out that according to your priorities. I, I do have a question, you know, a baseline uh, to set. Uh, we, we now have, and especially for our audience to understand this separation of the Air Force A2 and Space Force A2. And as you stand up that directorate, uh, how does it compare to your time at, in the A2 at headquarters Air Force now? And how are these organizations going to be similar or different? Uh, how are they working together? And how are they synchronizing and deconflicting their responsibilities? How, how are these different now, General? Yeah, absolutely, thank you. Uh, so General O'Brien, as the A26, uh, she and I meet regularly. Uh, I meet with her, uh, uh, her and her leadership team on a regular basis uh, to make sure that we're, we're synchronized and we're getting after, uh, after our challenges. I mean, General O'Brien said um, uh, probably about a year ago before the Space Force had, had even stood up, she absolutely wants the intelligence uh, professionals within the Space Force to be successful. So I'm very thankful for her team for helping us make, you know, make us successful. The truth is, is that uh, we will be, we have similar functions, um, but we will be different in scope and size. I will say that. Uh, so if you can just imagine really any of the other intelligence directorates that are at this level for the services are much, much larger and, uh, than what we will ever be. Yes. Um, yes. And, and so that, that really helps me <laughs> to prioritize what it is that we will be able to do on our staff, but, but functions such as, you know, because you're a, uh, because we've become a member of the intelligence community, you have to, uh, you have to be in compliance with certain uh, intelligence community directives. Uh, so there are functions within that that we have to, right? Authorities as being the senior intelligence officer come with, uh, come with compliance issues that, uh, that we have to uh, man, uh, maintain. Um, I, I, like General O'Brien, will be the functional manager. I am the functional manager for the intelligence professionals within the, within the Space Force. So that's for the officers that he listed and on the civilian side. So uh, similar to A26, we need to have, we have a, a career functional manager and we've got folks in each one of those categories to profession, you know, professionally develop, develop our uh, talent management framework, those types of things to ensure that our, uh, we're putting the right guardians in the right positions uh, and caring for, those, uh, caring for those folks. I mean, of course, we're spending money, we're spending national intel dollars, uh, national intelligence uh, program dollars, we're spending Space Force dollars, so those types of things, we, we have to be, you know, we're building the budgets, we're, we're building our, uh, we're planning for the future. So those functions all are really very similar. Where um, there are some things that uh, we will absolutely have to uh, rely on the A26. Um, and uh, because we didn't bring over uh, in, the, uh, in the Space Force, we didn't bring over a lot of administrative, we didn't bring over any administrative folks, right? So, so the Air Force is still hoping, helping us with that. Security from that standpoint, um, we have a, we, I, I will have a very small staff, but I will need to rely on General O'Brien and her staff for things of that nature. So, uh, so we are in the, um, in the midst right now of developing the, those MOAs, uh, those memorandums of agreement so that, uh, uh, so that we can both be successful and um, uh, in moving towards you know, a, more of a more mature staff that we'll have in the future, but um, I think that's. Uh, I, I mean, those are the big items that we've uh, that we're working. There are just some things that. Uh, uh, here's another example of something that will be very different. I, we are not going to have humanters, human intelligence per, uh, professionals within the space force. We didn't bring that uh, that skill set over. 
And so we will rely on, uh, on General O'Brien and the Air Force to uh, answer requirements. I mean, we still have human intelligence requirements. Uh, same thing on the counterintelligence side of the house. We still have those types of requirements, but we did yes. not bring those folks over from the Air Force side. So, oh. so mm -hmm. yeah, so those are a few things that are uh, uh, new and different. Some challenge. Yeah. A few challenges there. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, well, let me ask a follow-up uh, on that, you know, uh, related to this is, you know, how do you see you changing the capabilities of the Space Force E2? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I would have to assume that the current E2 in the Air Force is built around the Air Domain. Mm -hmm. And of course, Space Force is, is about the Space Domain. Uh, do you see structural or, for example, uh, information systems that support uh, the distribution of intelligence uh, information? Do you see things developing in terms of separate uh, programs that better support Space Force? So uh, from an intelligence perspective, I mean, there are, uh, I guess there, I would have to say that there are at a tactical level things that we already have. Um, the, uh, uh, from a Space Force perspective that are capabilities, uh, systems to answer that specific mission, right? But in the big, I mean, big program uh, and big, uh, big dollars that we're putting towards, uh, that the Air Force is putting towards what's called uh, ABMS, uh, Air Battle, or um, All Domain uh, Battle Management System. That is something absolutely that the Space Force is part of. And from an intelligence perspective, that's where we want to be able to put you know, most of, if not all of the data that we are collecting, uh, whether it's uh, from air breathers uh, on the A26 side, or if that's from space capabilities that we have um, on the S2 side. Um, so there are, uh, yes, there are systems that we are do, you know, developing together for sure. And then uh, I, I would guess that in the future, um, we, we will probably develop others. I don't, I don't have anything off the top of my head from a systems perspective. I think you know the biggest issue here is that we just need to make sure the data, uh, the standards for the data, right, uh, are the, are similar, yes. and we're all able to get to the data. There, yes. something like as as an example or a, a definitive point, I did want to make on. So I am the S two, right, and so uh, General O'Brien is the A two six. I am not the S two six. That's a big difference, a big change that we made in the uh, Space Force. That uh, the Air Force is getting after information warfare. Um, on the Space Force side of the house, uh, I think that that might be something that we mature to in the future. Yes. Not to say that it would be S26 necessarily, but, but what we did do in the Space Force is, is under that chief operating officer. So that's a, a Lieutenant General Saltzman, and I think you all interviewed him a, a, a little while yes. back. So mm -hmm. under the COO, that's where we have all of our operators. So the ISR operators, the, the, uh, the space operators, as well as the cyber operators. And, and we did that so that we could try to integrate as much as possible um, those functions. So uh, we'll see if we're successful here in the future. Yes. Yes. Very interesting. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll move a little bit here off Vector and ask you about uh, characterizing uh, threats uh, in space. And you've, you've, you've said previously that uh, we don't necessarily have an adequate capability to do this. That is at the level of speed and confidence that we need. Uh, so what capabilities or added capacity are needed to address this, this shortfall? Yes, so I would tell you, So, and again, this came from my US Space Command time. Um, if anybody read my bio, you'd see that I didn't have a lot of space, uh, a lot of expert or uh, experience in the space domain until um, uh, I, I commanded at NASIC 
National Air and Space Intelligence Center. So got a little bit of taste there, but, uh, but really is the US Space Command J2, Director of Intelligence, it uh, cemented in my brain the understanding of how difficult it is to characterize uh, adversary threats on orbit. Um, now we have a lot, you know, obviously there are adversary threats that are uh, terrestrial, and um, but you know, right, we've got lots of systems that are looking down uh, from NGA or NSA or whatever the you know uh, combat support agencies. Um, and so, so we, I think, you know, not that we have it covered by any means, uh, looking down, but uh, but we're a lot better off. On looking up, the issue um, is the is exactly what you stated. The confidence that you you don't have. It didn't seem to me that we had a lot of confidence in the calls that we were making. We we, we want to be more confident to give the commander a, um, a, a you know the best information for him to make decisions uh, for him or her to make decisions with, uh, and then also the speed at which to do that. Um, so it's hap it happy things are happening fast up on orbit as as you know, and it's. Uh, um, you could, uh, I mean, you're talking minutes uh, when something, an adversary could actually um, uh, engage you and, uh, and you might never know it, right? You're, you're, uh, and so what you need to be able to do is to, as an intelligence professional, of course, I want to be able to advise. Uh, I want to, uh, I want to, I have to sense the information. I want to be able to identify what it is. I want to be able to attribute it to um, whomever is the, uh, the adversary that's taken that shot as an example. Um, and then, uh, and then I've got to be able to share that information. So, um, so you asked about, I mean, you're asking about specifics, uh, what kinds of things would we need? And I can tell you, I can't answer that right now. And because this is one of those areas where we are on the staff is that we, uh, and I want to get after this priority, but we, um, there, we, we're just not there yet from a manpower or an expertise standpoint. Yeah. And there's a lot that is happening in the domain um, in, in this regard. Of, uh, we, we all think, I think we all understand that we need some more intelligence and we wanna be able to have persistence and, and confidence. But, uh, and when I say that, I think it's from an NRO perspective. Um, it's from a, you know, anybody that's got a capability um, on orbit is looking for uh, how do we do this? Um, how do we characterize the adversary better? Uh, so it's not just from a Space Force perspective. The army as well, right, has some capabilities. The uh, uh, and the commercial sector for sure. And so when I um, when I so what we need to do is we need to essentially have a, a design group that gets together and uh, and determines what do we have, uh, what do we think that we need, and then uh, let's get after it together because we know uh, we uh, we we can't do this all on our own. And so what I would say. Um, the way I think we'll go about doing this is uh, we are going to stand up a space warfighting analysis center uh, within the space force, um, and it will be run by a um, uh, run by an SES, uh, and that is you know separate from my organization. But that organization, otherwise known as the SWAC, Space Warfighting Analysis Center, they're going to get after force design, and uh, and so they will get after not a not, not only of what. Uh, comms capabilities we need, but after what ISR um, capabilities we need as well. So, so ask me again in like a year, maybe. And yes. uh, I think I'll be able to give you some more uh, definitive answers to, uh, to what it is that we think we need. That's fantastic. Um, so you, you brought up uh, a little bit about the space intelligence organizations. They're, they're littered across the US military space enterprise. I wonder if you have concerns from the intelligence side that, you know, precious, precious resources, especially in the uh, future environment we've got on the budget, 
could they be diluted across all these different and at times overlapping entities? And what might you suggest uh, be done to consolidate and streamline those organizations within Space Force? Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I, I would say that um, there's probably not as much overlap as folks might think. Uh, when you have all of these organizations that have an intelligence function uh, and, and looking in the space domain, they're primarily, I mean, they've got a role and a function to perform. Uh, so, you know, our folks that are down at the tactical level, they're doing tactical intel collection, planning, collection, exploitation, getting that information to the space operators. Uh, at an operational level, we have, um, we do play in that from a Space Force perspective, uh, some of our units, um, but primarily the uh, uh, U.S. Space Command JIOC, the Joint Intelligence Operations Center, um, as, as any other uh, combatant command has a JIOC, um, that, is, that is the operational level, um, and we present forces to the operational level, uh, or excuse me, we present uh, forces to the combatant command. And so between that operational um, level of intelligence that's being provided, uh, we also have our own operational level and that would be considered like an, an AOC, uh, the Air Operations Center. And so for the AOC for Space Force is the uh, Space Force um, Operations Center out at uh, Vandenberg. And so at an operational level, um, they, you know, they're, they're doing and they are talking to one another because we are presenting those forces to the combatant command and so what we need to make sure is that we continue that uh, deconfliction um, of roles and functions. We need to make sure that we're not uh, duplicating. And, and that's the great thing about, I think all of the senior leaders that, we, uh, that, that are in this business completely understand that. We do not have enough people and enough expertise to, uh, to have duplication, right? Just not possible. Yeah. But other things where like, I think that people believe that, uh, hey, NSA has some space function, NGA has some role in intelligence uh, within the space function or, um, or DNI, or perhaps uh, uh, some of the intelligence production centers like NASIC, uh, what we wanna stand up as NSIC, the National Space Intelligence Center, or even MISIC, uh, the Missile, Missile Space Intelligence Center. Um, so those, uh, they're really not overlapping today uh, how we devise and ensure that uh, we're not stepping on each other's toes, uh, but we're getting all of the information together that we need. We do, a, we do this through committees already today. And so, um, and those committees are led by senior uh, intelligence analysts that, uh, you know, that have been in the business for a long time. So there's really not as much overlap. I don't think that even though you hear, you know, right, there's an intelligence function here in this space organization, this organization, this organization, uh, but there's truly not a lot of, uh, of overlap or duplication that's happening. I think uh, in the future though, as we do grow, because we will grow in the Space Force um, intelligence enterprise, we absolutely have to make sure that we're, um, uh, we're maintaining that communication with, um, if, it's, if it is with the combatant command, uh, or if it's really communication with others in the intelligence community, that we, um, uh, that we maintain that uh, communication and deliberately defining who's, who is doing what uh, so that we don't duplicate. And so I'm not really worried about it. I'm, I'm really excited about it because uh, there is so much that is happening uh, uh, from an adversary perspective and the growth that is going to happen in the next 10 years that uh, there's gonna be plenty of work. Uh, and I don't think that we're gonna be stepping on each other's toes. That's very interesting, uh, and it, you know, you get to the point where manpower is very important. And uh, I, I'm curious uh, 
that, you know, General Raymond's uh, talked a lot about, you know, this plan for moving billets over, and I don't think that's completed yet. Where is that? And and uh, what about making that co uh, case for additional manpower from what we think yeah. it's going to be in 2021? Yes. So what I would tell you, uh, it, and if you had been in the space community as an intelligence professional, again, you know, 10 years ago, even really like six years ago, you'd say that uh, we don't have enough billets and we definitely don't have enough people, right? The fill rates were not where they needed to be, um, but also that we would have, you know, just two, three people down at, a, at an OSS and an, uh, um, at an operational support squadron uh, helping those space operators. And uh, that's not, you know, if, if you were to say the equivalent of what you had at a space wing compared to what you had at an air wing, um, and Stutz, I know you like you flew the A-10, right? You, you probably had 15 or 20 intelligence people dedicated to you at, that, uh, uh, at those units. Yes. And yes. so on the Space Force side, we have, we have increased those numbers over the last uh, five years um, and to a much more respectable uh, number, I will say. Um, and, and so essentially what happened when we brought over into the air, uh, from the Air Force to the Space Force uh, just last year, we brought over just over 800 intelligence billets. Um, and then of those 800 intelligence billets, we don't have them all completely filled, but I can say that we brought over, uh, you know, around a little over 600 airmen that became guardians. Um, and then on top of that, we, uh, we were uh, awarded, I will say, uh, but uh, we have another about 400 billets that are coming in 22, 23, and 24. And those billets um, were approved through the, uh, through the Department of Defense. So we know that we're getting those billets. Um, and those are the ones that will help us to fill out those new squadrons that we need to develop. And then also to robust some of those other capabilities, other squadrons and units that we, um, uh, that we had failed to uh, you know, a number of years ago. Um, the challenge, honestly, the challenge is going to be getting people into those billets uh, and so what you had alluded to earlier is that, yes. uh, is that General Raymond has been talking about, and uh, we are working with the other services right now to, uh, to ask for uh, more folks coming over from the other services. And so, uh, so actually we just completed uh, the, uh, there was a window open for Army and Navy uh, to put in packages for, uh, you know, volunteer to come over to become a Space Force Guardian. And so that just closed, I think, two days ago on the 31st of March. And, uh, and then we'll have a board and we will have, you know, uh, notifications that should come out probably July timeframe. That's what our uh, human resources folks are thinking. And, uh, and so then we'll get, you know, another, now this number is not going to be large this year, but we'll say that this is, um, uh, this is our first increments and we would like that number to grow. But I think General Raymond had mentioned that there might be about 30 folks that will come over from the other services. And that's across the board. That's across space, cyber, uh, Intel career fields, acquisition, engineering. So, so we we definitely need to um, keep our foot on the gas pedal uh, so that we can. You, you can't just you know fill 400 billets and wait for yeah. sessions coming from you know the yeah, sure. uh, uh, BMT or uh, or ROTC or the academy. That so we're looking at different ways. Um, you know, I I would love to bring in industry. Uh, I would love to put a, a, a uniform on somebody who wants to come in for a few years and um, or maybe just ask them to come over as a civilian, uh, but to fill some of these billets. Um, we have we aren't there yet, but that is definitely a, a conversation that we're having uh, with folks to um, uh, to fill some of those billets as well. 
but I'm hopeful that the uh, the inner service transfers is what they're called. Uh, that uh, this number this year a small number, but next year uh, hopeful that we'll be able to uh, to get hundreds of folks to come over because uh, there's a lot of excitement. I'll tell you what I fielded a number of phone yeah. calls from uh, uh, former Army folks, soldiers that I had worked with downrange uh, that uh, that were excited about coming in and, and being part of the Space Force. So, uh, so I think we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. yeah. Well, Leah, uh, I am available to fill any <laughs> slot anytime. It, it does sound exciting. And as, as the nation's newest armed service, you know, Space Force uh, has an opportunity to really not be the same, but do things differently. And, and looking forward to how that, you know, that, that develops. It yeah. sounds like you don't want me. Uh, so I'll move on here. Uh, so, so, so let's talk about, uh, so in the recruiting, you know, you, you do have to assess people from the, you know, lowest ranks of officer and, and enlisted. And do you have a strategy on what you're looking for? And is there going to be a big influx at the start or will it be just pick up from where the Department of the Air Force is, is doing that? Right. So we, uh, so this, uh, I would say more, it's the, um, uh, the, you know, kind of the standard session numbers um, that we have, uh, that we have grown up with uh, as part of the Air Force. We are still using the Air Force's uh, basic military training um, as an example. And so, uh, so we'll, I don't, I couldn't tell you if uh, HR has, uh, has managed to increase those numbers, but if we have, I don't think that it's been by, by very many. The, um, on the ROTC uh, or on the officer training side of the house, um, uh, standard numbers that will be coming over though. I would say, I think two years ago was the first year that we had folks come over from the academy. We had 16 um, at that point. And then the following year, I believe the number grew to over 80, you know? And so, the, um, so that number is increasing. And I think at some point here we will, you know, we'll um, uh, not, uh, I mean, just even out, right? I don't wanna say plateau. Um, right. but, uh, but we were, are getting the right accession numbers that we need. The, um, so as far as, uh, those numbers that come in, then of course, the issue is the expertise and the training and, uh, what is it that, uh, you know, how do we get them to go into the job, um, skilled and ready to go. So from an air force or from a, uh, intelligence perspective, we will continue to use our intelligence training. That's down at Goodfellow air force base. Uh, all of the services use uh, Goodfellow Air Force Base for uh, initial training. And then, um, and then we're talking about, uh, as opposed to, you know, so an officer might go there for four or five or six months. Uh, and then, uh, so they're an intelligence professional at the basic level, right? Now we need them, need to, and they get a little bit, a smattering of understanding what's, what's in the space domain. Uh, but we need to get them much more, um, uh, a much better understanding, enhanced understanding of, um, or, or, you know, orbitology and astrodynamics and things that, uh, that you, not, you don't necessarily get at, at an Intel, Intel fundamentals training, which is absolutely appropriate. So we're talking about, and I, I'm just really excited about this, being able to train all of our operators together. So the space operators, our Intel folks, as well as the, um, as well as the cyber operators. Uh, again, not there yet, but we do have a field command that we're standing up. That's the uh, STARCOM or the Space Training and Readiness Command. And uh, once that is stood up, they will be the ones to tackle. Um, how do we do training together? And, and this is unlike, I mean, you as an A-10 driver uh, and you know other, other aircraft before, you never trained with the Intel people together, right? The, uh, um, not until maybe late, much later in your career did you have That's these correct. experiences together, right? 
but so I'm excited that we could actually train together. And the, the idea at some point might be that uh, we bring in a, a brand new ISR airman uh, or officer. They go through this training. They uh, they work at a tactical level with the uh, with their space operators. They do that for four or five years, maybe six years. And then if they say, hey, I'd like to really become a space operator, I'd like to try that, right? Or vice versa, if the space operator wants to try, uh, wants to come into intelligence for four or five or six more years, that type of thing. I think what we, we have the opportunity here to build these Uber operators um, at the you know, 15, 20 year yes. uh, standpoint that, that understand at least of those operational fields that we talk about, ISR, cyber and space, um, you know, it'd be great if you can get two of the three of those and be much more of an expert um, um, as an operator in the domain, right, in the entire domains. So I'm just really excited about the prospect of that. No, that's fantastic. Uh, that sounds really good. And then uh, maintain a weapon school presence also, I would imagine. Oh, yes, yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so we send folks through Intel, our uh, weapon school right now, um, both uh, Intel or both, uh, all three, I should say, Intel, Cyber, and Space. Um, I think we're just looking at what is, and what I don't think we're close to <laughs> looking at and making changes at this point. But, uh, but where do we want to be in the future? Uh, so those Intel folks, right? I was a, I was a patch. Uh, I am a patch, I should say. I uh, uh -huh. went to uh, went through the school. I was an instructor at the school, and um, uh, and, and there, we're always tweaking. The weapons school is always tweaking the syllabus. And so I think at some point we will, you know, we, we will change what are what are our requirements for an Intel weapons officer, uh, space weapons officer, though. Um, but if we could have those three still training together at, at weapons school, oh, they're, they're going to be, be great. It'll be great. That's fantastic. Right. Let's press. Let me uh, pivot a bit here. And I mean, I ask you a question on the National Space Intelligence Center. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you've dedicated a couple uh, space squadrons uh, uh, transferred over from NASIC. Now they're going to be, these two organizations are going to be co-located. Uh, how are they going to be differentiated? Can you talk about that a little bit? And, you know, we've had some people uh, mention that uh, there's unnecessarily duplication there. Uh, how would you address that? Okay, well, yeah, so I don't, I don't see that there's duplication really by any means. Uh, the, the, if, if NASIC or the still, you know, is still considered NASIC and if they, they keep the S and that's up to General O'Brien and what it is that she wants to do, um, because there is still some support that uh, the Air Force is needing from a space perspective. But, but, don't, but once those two squadrons come over to uh, stand up the National Space Intelligence Center, I mean, they're the only folks that are going to be doing space analysis and counter space analysis. Um, and then, and like I, you know, so there, that, that entity, there won't be any duplication that's happening over at NASIC from that analytic uh, perspective. The, um, I think there, that there are folks that think that, uh, well, folks, you know, there are this entity down at NISIC, I mean, that do space. There's uh, some folks at NGIC, the National uh, Ground Intelligence Center, right? That is the Army's, uh, Army's uh, service, uh, service center. So, you know, but that also does a space mission. Uh, these are conversations that we're going to have to have in a you know later time. We don't have to have those conversations right now. But that um, how do we uh, ensure that those those missions that they are doing um, is you know under or part of the National Space Intelligence Center uh, and under those authorities as you know. So today uh, and maybe we keep it this way that today it works and it's um, it's just a matter of these folks are 
uh, again, through committees and conversations at the senior intelligence level uh, that those missions get done today. Maybe we keep it that way, or um, maybe in the future, we decide that we want a closer linkage, but we all have to have those conversations together. Um, I, by any, no means, am like dictating, hey, this is the way that, that we're gonna go by any means. What I can tell you though, is that uh, those two squadrons that we have that will be the core of NSIC, that's not just the only thing that we need. Um, we, we need to you know, increase, we need, uh, if it's to increase the, the number of analysts that we have there because the, um, you know, the, uh, the numbers of adversary systems is only increasing. And so uh, if you understand uh, scientific and technical intelligence, I mean, and, you know, I, uh, you want an analyst that is an expert in that weapon system. And, uh, and so as those number of weapon systems uh, that uh, abs our adversaries grow, uh, we, we probably need to grow in, um, uh, in numbers of analysts. Uh, and those analysts are engineers, uh, they're, you know, maybe they're chemists, they're, you know, right, they're scientists, as well as a, a traditional intelligence analyst. So I, I see that as there's probably growth in the future. And I also see that um, uh, from an exploitation standpoint or from an advanced threat analysis standpoint, we've, we have room to grow too. And um, uh, so as I stated, this, uh, we've got this working group uh, that is, is you know, comprised today of, uh, of Space Force folks, of the um, A26 staff, of the folks that are at NASIC right now. Uh, DIA is part of that, um, USDINS is part of that. And so we're all getting together and talking about what do we want NSIC to look like um, in the beginning, which I think is pretty easy in the beginning and uh, but much more difficult uh, where we want it to look like as a fully operational uh, capable center. Well, I'm, I'm certainly seeing that you need that capacity uh, space force now enabling all other service domains and capabilities. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And, and now you pick up as an independent armed service the responsibility for conducting unique, distinct soul uh, effects strategically in and from and through space. Uh, so I'd like to back up on the IC piece when I talk about that, because I'm curious, and you talked about this a bit, but formally joining the IC as the most junior member since uh, 2006 or so, and uh, there's 18 of them. and and Space Force's mission is freaking important. And do you feel you're going to be able to immediately establish yourself as one of the uh, more dominant uh, participants in that community? I would say the, um, well, I don't know that I wanna be dominant, but I do wanna be on par with the other services and with the other agencies. And I absolutely feel that way today. Uh, so, so direct when when we went through the process, um, and you know this wasn't something that the the IC does on a regular basis, as you stated, it's been a while. And so we kind of uh, we we came together, our staffs came together with the uh, my staff came together with um, uh, the DNI staff, and we went through okay pros and cons, and uh, what do we think this means? I mean, what do we what uh, functions do we need uh, to be able to uh, to execute in order to become a member of the IC? And so we had that in place. And then the uh, uh, director Ratcliffe uh, made the decision for us to become a member. Uh, I'm very thankful for that. 
the and then after uh, Director Ratcliffe actually provided me with a um, a memo that says, "Hey, here are the things that I need to make sure that you are doing, and I need and if you aren't doing those things today, what is your plan to to be able to get to those things?" And so over the last couple of months, we have been going through this list, uh, and it's extensive because there are a lot of intelligence community directives out there, uh, things that you just need to be in compliance with. And if you can think about it, right. Uh, we're spending their money to do the mission, to do a national mission. So they want to make sure that we're spending their money correctly. Um, we uh, there is trade there's tradecraft that uh, we need to be able to follow as an intel as intelligence professionals, and so um, uh, so we'll be, you know be compliant there. Intelligence oversight types of things where uh, we uh, we want to ensure that we're not um, uh, uh, that we're in compliance and, and not uh, spying on folks that we shouldn't be uh, looking at. Uh, these types of things are, these are all stated in the compliance directives. And so we can say today that we're compliant with all of these. And the reason is because we've been under the Air Force. Uh, you know, we've been in the Air Force has been compliant doing these things. So now it's just a matter of, okay, we're going to, we're still going to use the Air Force for these things. And then for these other items, we think that we have the functions already stood up. So from a resource perspective, as an example, I feel like I have enough of a function here that I can, I can say the uh, to Director Haynes now that um, we are we are good to go, um, and then uh, as as well. And when I say we talk about uh, being on par with the other services, uh, I mean you know Director Ratcliffe at, or excuse me Director Haynes asks for uh, weekly reports. I provide weekly reports director to Director Haynes uh, directly, right? Um, other things that uh, she she hosts are uh, executive committees. Um, deputy executive committees, and we're, we're members of all of those uh, and all of the working groups that we can attend uh, right now. And so, uh, and I have a very, I think a really pretty close um, relationship with the, uh, the, the new NIM for space. And, uh, and so that, you know, being on the DNI staff, that is, um, uh, I think it's only goodness as our organizations uh, come closer together. I mean, I don't think that folks should think that the Space Force is the only uh, and is the only entity that should own space, uh, right? I mean, we are the military aspect of this and we need to prepare for war fighting in space, uh, deterrence or war fighting in space. And so, um, so we're not the end all be all, uh, but we need to be much, you know, we have a large part uh, to play in that overall much larger enterprise that is, um, that is, that is offering all of these capabilities to, uh, to you know, uh, the world or to certainly to the American public. Well, so I hope I hope that answers your question about uh, it does yeah becoming a member of the IC. You bet. Uh, one last question. Uh, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Just talk a little bit about uh, uh, the importance that you see in changes in working with partners and allies. You know, there's some issues there and how well space can be collaborated with. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, what have you put into place recently? And how are you trying to get over those hurdles and uh, talk to that classified nature of that business? Sure, sure. So I think that this is uh, this needs to be looked at in in two 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 ways or uh, uh, two two prongs. First is uh, from an operational standpoint, the relationship that we have with uh, especially our five I partners in this uh, domain. Uh, I mean, is very strong. The um, you've seen lately in the news where the UK. They're going to come out with the Space Command, uh, the French, uh, the Japanese are 
um, have already right have a, a a unit. I can't remember what they're calling it, but um, nonetheless, I mean, all of our uh, partners in that sense are you know they understand the importance of the domain. And so, from an operational standpoint, uh, the the we've had a great relationship with these countries to bring those you know bring them together to um, if it's LNOs. Uh, liaison officers, or if it's uh, planning together, uh, if it's you know somebody uh, operator operators being in operation centers together, right? So when we talk about those partnerships, uh, they're they're very strong. Uh, they I'm sure that we can improve, uh, no doubt, uh, from an operational standpoint. However, the uh, the second item or the second prong of this is the intelligence sharing. So um, because there are and there are classification issues on both sides. Uh, classification issues that, uh, from an operation standpoint, that uh, things programs are just highly classified, and uh, and so it's difficult to share uh, those uh, those capabilities plan together. Um, and that I'd say, I mean, I look to my S three counterpart uh, or the COO in this case and say, you know, like how how do we get after that? Um, I am more concerned from an intelligence standpoint uh, as to what it is that we can, uh, what can we share. And so today, the Air Force has intelligence sharing agreements with right, a number of countries. Um, all of the services do. Um, at a national level, the, uh, the intelligence community has intelligence sharing agreements as well with uh, various countries. And so we have not yet, but we will. I, I, this is not a priority for me for, for this first year, but the, the follow-on it will be that I want, to, uh, I want to understand what our intelligence sharing agreements are. Uh, and then, uh, and then let's pick and choose which ones we want to robust. And when I when I talk about intelligence sharing, this is no kidding sharing, right? This is a, a two way street. Yes. And so, folks right. need to understand that this is not just a matter of the the, uh, the United States Space Force um, sharing intelligence with folks. But there are other capabilities that countries have that, from an ISR standpoint, uh, uh, that they you know they might be able to collect something that we can't. And so, we would love to be able to share that. Um, so we're going to have to get after that, but uh, it's a very, uh, yeah, it's very important. And um, I know it's one of General Raymond's uh, priorities here for year two is, uh, is uh, robusting those partnerships. So, so I look forward to it. Um, again, it's, I'll just go back to the manpower at this, uh, you know, it, right. and prioritizing. It's yes. Not quite up at the top yet, but we'll get there. Okay. There. Loud and clear mm -hmm. on point. <laughs> well, we've come to the end of this segment of our discussion and uh, General Lauterbach, uh, thanks again for insightful comments, sharing your perspectives on this brave new Space Force venture you're on. And uh, we wish you and your team the best and hope to talk to you again sometime soon. Excellent. Thank you very much. That's, it was great to talk to you. Well, as an alert to our listeners, our next event is Monday, April 19th, when the Mitchell Institute will be unveiling a new report. It's called Toward a National Defense Strategy force planning construct that reduces risk of strategic failures. And we hope you can join us for that. And once again, that will be on April 20th. I misspoke. We're now gonna open up our session to questions from the audience. General, you're ready to go? I am, yes. Okay, they've been listening to our conversation. As a reminder to our listeners, you can participate using the Q&A uh, in the Q&A by the raise hand function on the app, or you can type in your Q&A also. I'd ask you, uh, when I call on you, unmute your mic, state your name and affiliation, and then ask your question. Uh, with that, uh, I have 
a question that's been, uh, I'll read it here, or I'll paraphrase it here. Uh, General, uh, in the last couple decades, uh, weather support or weather information has become more of an intelligence feature than it is just simply weather. Uh, how do you see the replacement program for DMSP? I'm sure that's a program you're aware of. Uh, being on track, uh, or can you talk to the importance of weather information in terms of your mission at Space Force? Mm. Well, I and e EWS for everybody is the electro-optical infrared weather system, a distributed distributed uh, collection of satellites. Okay, so um, thank you for the question. Uh, that is not a softball question. <laughs> <laughs> for me as an intelligence professional. And uh, um, so I'm, I'm, I'll be able to answer uh, really basic uh, from a weather perspective, right? And understanding, um, you know, whether, whether it's an ISR capability that we have on, uh, uh, on orbit or if it's a, you know, a, a capability that we're looking, you know, that's doing cross orbit or uh, looking up or if it's something that's looking down. And obviously from my, my standpoint, I understand exactly what it is that weather can do. Um, and uh, the, the fact that we need to mitigate as much of the weather effects that, uh, that we might have uh, for planning purposes uh, and then for execution of ISR. Um, but I'm sorry, I, I just cannot answer to uh, the, the, you know, where we are program-wise. I just don't know. It's, uh, yes, yeah. yes. And I think both of us are, you know, we've had the experience that tremendous efficiencies, especially on the ISR side to have that weather information. Um, I'm going to go to Teresa Hitchens from uh, Breaking Defense. Hi, Teresa. Hi, thank you for doing this, General. I'm Teresa Hitchens uh, from, from Breaking Defense. Mm -hmm. And my question also is about sensors. I believe you've said in the past that we simply don't have enough sensors um, to know what's going on in space. And I know that the uh, that you know the Space Force and before that Air Force Space Command was looking to increase our capability in the Southern Hemisphere, in particular by working with Australia. Um, we've now, we're doing some hosted payloads with Japan. Do you have some sort of roadmap or are you putting together some sort of roadmap um, to look at where the gaps are in space sensing capability and to fill those gaps with new sensors or hosted payloads, or even perhaps the use of commercial um, capabilities because that's a really burgeoning area of activity right now. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Teresa, for the question. Uh, so I, I want to get there. That's exactly why I have this priority of, uh, of building this capacity and capability um, to, to look at adversary systems. I think that, um, and, and to be able to characterize those adversary systems. So we're, we're not there yet, uh, but I had mentioned the, uh, the SWAC, uh, which is the Space Warfighting Analysis Center. And that's really where I think we will, um, uh, we will be able to get after uh, the force design of what do we want an ISR enterprise to look like uh, from a capability uh, perspective, um, whether that's on orbit or, or not. And, uh, and absolutely it needs to include uh, anything that is you know, flown today by NRO as an example, um, but also the, uh, what is commercially flown um, also, what is you know uh, terrestrially owned, uh, if that's commercial, uh, or if that's uh, I mean just industry is coming up with some great ideas to be able to get after the um, the persistence that we need, as well as the um, 
the fidelity of sensors. And so, so I can't, it's not a good answer. I can't uh, say that we have made a lot of strides in this, but, uh, but if you could ask me that again in you know, six months or a year from now, I think that we'll be in a much better place to understand um, everything that is out there. And then what are those gaps? What are those requirements? And then let's go towards uh, building that game plan to get to, um, uh, to get to building those capabilities if that's in case what we, uh, what we decide to do. Do you actually have a, a, like a time deadline or a goal for being able to develop such a roadmap? Uh, no, I can't. I don't. And, um, and I will say that because uh, the, again, we're, we are just developing, creating that, uh, uh, the analysis center that I think we will work hand in hand with uh, uh, from an intelli the intelligence directorate, right? Uh, but it will be, uh, I, I could say, you know, it's, if it's a couple of years from now, that would be a goal of mine is to, uh, is to define that, uh, that, that game plan. Thank uh, you. Okay, thanks. I've got a uh, written in question here, General, uh, asking about who's going to be responsible or will you be responsible for tactical ISR support to ground naval and air units, that is targeting information, maritime surveillance and so forth. Mm. Yes, so this is an area that we are, um, we are discussing uh, at this point. I will tell you that um, we are not going to be the Air Force, uh, and we are not going to uh, build a DCGS, uh, Distributed Common Ground System, right? So we've got in the Air Force, we've got probably 7,000 airmen that are dedicated to information that is coming off of uh, theater airborne ISR, as well as you know other capabilities, other sensors. And so they're, and they're putting that information together, exploiting that and putting that analysis together to, to present to uh, various combatant commands and um, operation centers, et cetera. That is not going to be the Space Force. Uh, we are not, uh, we do not have the manpower for that. And, um, and in, instead, what I would say is that if there is ISR, if there's tact, you know, I don't really like to use the term tactical ISR coming off of uh, um, uh, capability on orbit. Uh, I mean, because ISR can be tactical, it can be operational, it can be strategic. It all comes off of the same bird, right? Um, but nonetheless, that, uh, that capability that's providing ISR, looking down, uh, it's, we are going to have to define this way of um, data comes off of those capabilities and goes direct to the customer. And they do their own exploitation. Uh, they do their own analysis on it. Um, we, are, we are not going to, uh, right now, I have not been told that I need to do that. Uh, and I'm definitely not resourced to do that. So uh, not, in the, not, in the, uh, not in the cards yet. Uh, the other thing is the, um, the the other capabilities. We are building an exploitation squadron for ourselves, uh, and that will be for exploitation that uh, that we have from um, uh, or on orbit sensors that are doing uh, cross orbit uh, or looking up types of things. Uh, that's what our exploitation. We expect our exploitation squadron to be doing, uh, but we will be the primary customer of that. We got time for one last question here. Uh, I'll read it. There's significant challenges uh, to share information, which we discussed a bit, uh, between Title 10 and Title 50 organizations, and many things in space are compartmentalized. What's being done to address these challenges? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I and, you know this is not um, this is not new. Uh, and General Hyten, a number of years ago, I think he was probably the first one that that said we have got to get over this compartmentalization. Um, now that's on the really on the ops side when General Hyten or when General Raymond speaks to that. 
On the intelligence side, um, absolutely, as this person has mentioned, that uh, it's difficult between Title X and 50 organizations because there is compartmentalization on the intelligence side. Um, but I think that we are doing better. And this is, this is where there's a, you know, us being a member of the intelligence community and having a voice at the table. And, you know, uh, the first time I met with the DNI as an example, I talked about, uh, you know, trying to, um, how, how do we get, how do we, how are we able to message more uh, and share intelligence that, um, that the American public needs to know as to what is happening uh, unprofessional behavior by uh, by the Russians on orbit, as an example. Um, so I, I think this is a big win for us to be being part of the intelligence community and me being that's a you know right a something that I want to hammer on uh, on a regular basis to uh, to be able to share that information. And and again, it goes to you know just like everything is based on relationships. Uh, I think it's this great relationship that we are developing between the Title Ten already and Title Fifty, um, whether it be within um, the uh, the USDI staff, uh, the DNI staff, or uh, in the co uh, combat support agencies, and everywhere I go, all of these senior leaders. I mean, we're all in agreement. We know the importance of space, of the domain to our way of life and to our way of war. And so I think uh, I think we're going to uh, take on these challenges and, and get to uh, uh, get to success in the future. So just need a little bit of time to get there. Great quote, General. We've come to the end of our uh, Space Power Forum. A big thanks to you and your team again, General Lauterbach. Uh, and I'll, I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Sounds great. So you bet. So to you and our audience, from all of us here at Mitchell Institute, have a great aerospace day. <laughs>